Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. I cannot run an office. I cannot run an office that is driven by anger and public sentiment. I must run an office that looks at the facts, the evidence, and the law on every case. That is my responsibility. When I look back at how we have wrongful convictions and the circumstances around them, and some that were heightened of of media attention and others that were not, I cannot put ourselves in the position of being driven by public. We must be driven by the facts, the evidence, and the law always. And so I will say to you, I am honored and privileged to serve in this role. I am undaunted by the events of the last two weeks. I am committed to serving my term and should the people have me continuing forward. I believe that this has sparked a reason for us to have a conversation about where we really stand on criminal justice reform. What we really believe when we talk about the rhetoric of a broken system and fixing it. It means that you have to have fidelity to that. And the efforts that I've had on criminal justice reform that were once celebrated by many in this county that are now being attacked because of one case and one celebrity, I think we have to ask ourselves, what is this really about? I've been asking myself for the last two weeks, what is this really about? And as someone who has lived in this city, who came up from the projects of this city to serve as the first African-American woman in this role, it is disheartening to me and to the women and men for whom I represent that there is not a place I go that I don't represent for Cabrini. That when we get in these positions, that somehow goals post change. Somehow, when you do the best, and that you put our office on national standards, there are people watching what we're doing in Cook County around criminal justice reform, and yet, and yet. So I will tell you that this is personal. My, I'm sorry, I just need a moment. My grandmother was from Little Rock, Arkansas, and escaped her family uh, from the history of the South to come to Chicago. The the notion that in a conversation about criminal justice, in a conversation that affects all of us, all communities, that the injection of white nationalists in this conversation for me, I will tell you personally, I was afraid. I'm a mother of four children. I'm a wife. And seeing the history of white nationalism in this country, a history that has affected my family personally for years, I was disappointed, disheartened, and quite honestly afraid. On the professional side, again, I work alongside the men and women of law enforcement throughout the county on thousands of cases every year. My experience has not been in those professional settings the injection of the type of rhetoric that I see from white nationalists. Again, I would certainly hope that the FOP and whatever their disagreements with me may be, whatever, whatever concerns that they may have about my ability or leadership, would at least expect the people of their union 
to not inject racism or white nationalists into the conversation. The, la the last, the last, the last question here. No, 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 no. So you, you, you may get, sir, sir, sir. Wait, 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 wait. And welcome back to Flyover Politics Podcast. It's the 11th of April, the year of our Lord, 2019. And that's Kim Fox. She suggests race is behind the criticism. I've been asking myself, what is this really about? What it's about is literally Chicago politics. So... Base podcast today, we're going to go over some of the bar stuff in the intro here. A lot of violent left. A huge media section that I canned for the last podcast to fill this one and a good news of social media nuggets. So, that is expected. I mean, let's be honest. But in Chicago, whereas we'll see there's still a lot of murders and killing, uh, let's be honest, that isn't what all of the people are saying. Because this is even worse. This is an activist, and the police are blue KKK. Years ago, when activists took to the streets, we demanded accountability. We saw a state's attorney who had a part in the cover-up of a Kwame McDonald. And we all unified around someone who said that she was going to bring reform to the state's attorney's office who understood that we can't continue to arrest and jail our way out of crime and violence. Who understood that people need help instead of an arrest record preventing them from going forward in their life. That person was Kim Fox. Kim Fox took office and she made good on those promises. And that is why we're here today, and we have all white men FOP getting up, looking like the Blue Klux Klan to us, all in uniform, coming out against the first black woman state's attorney who has exonerated dozens, who has decided not to prosecute, uh, uh, or, or her office decided not to prosecute a low-level felony. But when we look at the amount of false police reports filed in this city, they don't even get prosecuted. Because they say that they got bigger things to focus on. So don't use the fact that Justice Smollett, Smollett is a celebrity to say, oh, we don't have bigger things to focus on, let's focus on him. No, we do have bigger things to focus on. Like the 15% clearance rate, and you got an 85% chance of getting away with murder. We have to focus on getting our streets safe, and focus on that detective division in the next administration so that we can decrease violence in the city of Chicago and get people help and not just continue to arrest and jail our way out of crime, which the Fraternal Order Police wants us to do to black and brown people. So we're here to say that we marched for her several years ago, and we're going to continue to march with her going into her next election, and she will be state's attorney again if she sees fit.
down in the street by coming to the Chicago Police Department and suffer no consequence. Let's be clear. Kim Fox, her battle is with the FOB and all of their co-fathers. Charlie Cook brings us in, or Kirk, brings us into our reality. These are the 2019 shot and killed. There are 87 killed, 399 wounded, 486 people shot, 97 total homicides in Chicago this year. It's an improvement, sure. But let's be honest. There's a lot of crime in Chicago. So much so, it's black-on-black crime that nobody wants to talk about. Yet the activists say the cops are the blue KKK. Maybe you should stop killing people. I'm just throwing it out there. It's an idea. Trump then posted a campaign video for 2020. I I was going to play it, but it's just music. I mean, because he used the Dark Knight... Warner Brothers went to Twitter and put in a complaint to have it removed. Um, And it's a good video. I mean, it basically just shows all the crazy people trying to get Trump. It's a really good message, really. I mean, it's actually factual. It's one of the first factual ones I, I think I could say Trump did. But... Would, would Obama ever... I mean, Obama played anything he wanted. Nobody cared. I mean, that's how biased we are. There is no standards. Even the media, um, giants and movie and Hollywood, it's like it's only one side. That's it. One side they'll support. Anybody else plays music or whatever, they lose their fucking mind. And, you know, Twitter was more than happy to gank that. They were like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll take that shit down because, you know, Trump and all. So... Um, I want to start the Russia, 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 because Barr did some testimony with a pretty poignant segment by Tucker. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. This evening we want to tell you a story about collusion, a real one, actual collusion that's currently in progress. There are no shadowy hackers or imaginary rendezvous in Prague in this story. There's not a single Russian spy or secret sex tape. There's nothing shadowy about the collusion we're going to tell you about. It takes place right out in the open on live television. This is a story about where your news comes from. This past Sunday afternoon, we learned that the Trump campaign did not collude with the government of Russia. That was the conclusion of Robert Mueller's investigation, an investigation that spent two years exhaustively looking into the question. This was very good news for America. We don't have a spy in the White House. But it was apocalyptic for the Democratic Party and their press agents in the news media. These are the people who would stake their reputations and their fortunes on the collusion hoax. And they were stunned. Befuddled politicians stammered on television trying to figure out what to say about the news. Viewers of liberal media outlets didn't want to hear anything about it. Huge numbers of them just quit watching immediately. Last night, CNN's 8 p.m show lost nearly 50% of its viewers. For progressive channels, this was a catastrophe. Something had to be done. 
So into this disaster stepped the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. On Monday, just hours after the collusion story collapsed, Pelosi announced that the Democratic Party would be switching gears. Going forward, Democrats would focus intently on health care, just like she disingenuously claimed they always had. Madam Speaker, did the the Republicans help uh, Democrats shift the focus here from the investigations onto health care? We've never taken our focus away. Uh, I hope that it focuses the press on these issues. I hope the press focuses on health care, Pelosi said. She didn't have to ask twice. At CNN, they were paying close attention to every word Pelosi uttered. To Jeff Zucker and the anchors who work for him at CNN, Pelosi isn't just a politician. She's the leader of the party, their party, the party under whose banner Zucker has said he may someday run for office. When America's most powerful Democrat speaks, CNN listens with pen in hand. These are marching orders. And the network swung into action immediately. The rundowns of every primetime show were scrapped and rebuilt. Gone were the segments about office towers in Moscow and Carter Page's spying and Don Jr. going to prison. In their place, long editorials about health care. The Democratic health care plan is sensible and necessary, CNN told us. The Republican plan, cruel and heartless. Between 7 p.m. and midnight last night, Every show on CNN followed Nancy Pelosi's instructions. Every single show talked about health care, and every single one channeled Nancy Pelosi's views on health care. She could have been writing the scripts. Maybe she was. Nobody hit that topic harder than an anchor called Chris Cuomo. Cuomo was the son of the former Democratic governor of New York and the brother of the current Democratic governor of New York. He spends a lot of time telling you what a committed shoe journalist he is, probably because his instincts are so obviously political. Last night, the governor's brother read his party's talking points as if off a cue card. Close your eyes as we play this and imagine you're listening to a 30-second attack ad on the radio during campaign season. See if you can tell the difference. Our president said today that the GOP will be known as the party of health care, but it seems to me he left out a word based on his administration's latest move with the ACA, the president will make his party about removing health care. This president and his party have no plan to provide care to tens of millions if the ACA is gone. Why, why, why? Welcome to the new normal. They're taking your health care away. If you're waiting to hear the paid for by the Kamala Harris for president committee line, they left that out. They shouldn't have. The law requires it. But they did anyway. Don Lamont hosts the next show in CNN's lineup. As a person, Lamont isn't nearly as political as the governor's brother is. He's a local news guy at heart, the former weekend anchor at a station in Birmingham. He's not into policy. On the other hand, Don Lamont has a very sweet gig, and he knows it. So when Jeff Zucker calls and tells him to talk about health care, he does. And, of course, he did. The president says the GOP is going to be the party of health care. Then why is his Justice Department saying the Affordable Care Act should be struck down. The president has said again and again um, that he wanted to protect pre-existing conditions. Is this another, yet another lie from the president? Yet another lie on health care. At no point did any of the anchors on CNN yesterday mention what was so glaringly obvious. In the space of just 24 hours, that channel went from the Russia conspiracy network to an extended advertisement for the Affordable Care Act as written by Barack Obama. The viewers those who remained, must have wondered what the hell was going on. 
Where's my segment about how Don Jr. is going to prison? I want to hear more about that. But no. On Pelosi's orders, it was health care week on CNN. And they were back at it this morning, assiduously. Starting at 6 a.m. today, every single show on CNN's morning lineup and all through the day regurgitated Pelosi's talking points to the word about health care. Republicans will make you sick. Only Democrats will make you well. Every single show made that point. If you were stuck in the airport, it was like living in North Korea. A speaker bolted to the wall above your head, blaring an endless loop of propaganda you can't turn off. Giving House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and congressional Democrats just the opening they needed. And it puts health care for millions of Americans in some level of uncertainty and also jeopardy. What would happen? I mean, what would happen? What would millions of Americans lose? Just just to be clear, Republicans do not have a plan to replace Obamacare. The fate of health care for more than 20 million Americans insured through Obamacare and Medicaid expansion hangs in the balance. As of this moment, Republicans have not offered a single new alternative to Obamacare. Uh, Some people characterizing this as a gift to Nancy Pelosi uh, going into this next 2020 election. Get rid of Obamacare, says the Trump administration. Okay, so what's the plan to replace it? We don't know, says the Trump administration. Simply repealing Obamacare without uh, Republicans coalescing behind an alternative would throw the health care system into chaos. That is laughable. You read my mind. I wanted to get your respondent to the president saying that that we will have a plan. Um, Laughable. Noted. Laughable. We have no idea what they've been showing over on CNN for the past four hours. We had to turn it off at 4 p.m. But if we had to guess, health care. Oh. I'm sorry. I'm getting word from our producer. I'm sorry. We have a news alert now. According to our producers who are monitoring the situation, both CNN and MSNBC are talking about health care right now. Health care. Pelosi's orders. What does that tell you? It tells you where your news comes from. Democratic officials pick the topic and the storyline. Their servants in cable news dutifully repeat it to the word all day long. CNN is not a news outlet. It's a super PAC. It is running unregulated campaign ads 24 hours a day. Someone ought to call the FEC about it. That's your collusion, and it continues. Here are things since our last podcast. Remember, that was four days ago. Paul Perry, breaking information from highly classified Flint intercepts circulated from McCabe to Comey to Clapper to WAPO, making Clapper a top suspect in a legal leak to WAPO. Sean Davis, did the FBI DOJ use information provided by Fusion GPS employee and DOG spouse Nellie Orr in its FISA application against Carter Page? Bruce Orr confirmed that in his testimony, which is something that was said, but nobody would say it. Magna, ooh, I don't know how to read this person's Twitter handle. Unequivocal testimony means unequivocal FISA application. Dang, this is disturbing for the country. Is anyone else wondering if there was a first election time and if this leverage Chuck Schumer seven ways with Sunday has affected every branch and institution in the U.S. and world? Why even bothering posing these questions? The MSN controls with the vast majority of Americans consuming journalism. The MSN is 10 on bearing what went wrong. They will be outraged, however, anything remotely similar happens to the left. And that's the truth, because then Barr gets out there. A.G. Barr says he's reviewing the conduct in the Russian counter 
intelligence investigation that was started in 2016. Also said OIG investigation of the FISA process should be finished in May. I'm reviewing the conduct of the investigation of the Trump Russia and that he expects Inspector General report into use of FISA and probe. In May or June, Barr says DOJ IG is working on a review of FISA process as it relates to Trump Russia investigation, phony dossier, ah, la 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 la. Adderholt, are you investigating who leaked the existence of the FISA order against Carter Page? Barr, I haven't seen the referrals yet from Congressman Nunes, but obviously is there a predicate for any investigation it will be conducted? Preet Barhara, Barr making some news, says Mueller declined opportunity to review Barr's four-page letter before release, also says he will be in a position to release redacted report within a week's time. I'm going to cover that in a second. Andy McCarthy, misleading summary, a silly criticism of the start. Again, Barr did not summarize the report. He explained the conclusions. Now explains Mueller declined invitation to review the letter. Barr also explained that he was able to write his letter so quickly because he was working with Mueller over the last couple of weeks. Lisa DeJardis, lowly, low EQ to bar, paraphrased. How did you produce the summary? On March 5th, we met with Mueller and we started working. Natasha Bartrand asked how he could be read to just the same thing. It just competes. Then the big whammy came yesterday. Byron York, Dem Senator Shaheen to bar. You're not suggesting that spying occurred, bar. I think spying did occur. The question is whether it was adequately predicated. I'm not suggesting it was not adequately predicated, but I need to explore that. Barr is adopting the GOP line and raising questions about the origin of the Russian investigation. I think there was a failure among a group of leaders at the FBI at the upper echelon. I feel I have an obligation to make sure the government power is not abused. I think spying on a political campaign is a big big deal. I think spying did occur. The resistance. Warning. Now the real Trump, blah, blah, blah. I mean, we're talking, they lost their mind on this. Damn senators made it. Can you please restate that? Just restate that. Journalists who've been all in. Just an outrageous thing for AG to say. Eric Holder, there is legitimate. Here's the deal, boys and girls. Mueller found the truth. And the truth is... There was spying on a opposing party's campaign that was not predicated. There was no proof. The dossier is fake. They knew that. They still did it to try to derail his presidency. And why is this a big deal? No, it's not because I'm on the Trump train. Folks, this is bad for our democracy. We should not have the party in power investigating the opposing party for whatever reason. It shouldn't happen. There is no Russian collusion. And the media is freaking out. And of course the Democrats are freaking out. Because here's the reality. The reason why Mueller probably didn't fucking care about the thing is because he stopped the investigation because what did it find? It found the Dems in violation of a lot of shit, just like we've been saying since Jump Street. Hillary's collusion with Russia was obvious 
Trump's was a statement at a press conference. If Russia's got those 5,000 emails, 300,000 emails, I sure like them, or 30,000 or whatever the fuck it was, I'd like them. Yeah. This this is going to get uglier because they're going to follow it. And I wouldn't be surprised eventually if we see some fucking people charged. They broke the law. We've had so many leaks to the press over and over of secret, top secret. I mean, it's it's bad. So if you're really for justice, as the Dems and Resistance say, well, that justice should go where it goes. But that's not what the media is for. That's not what the left's for. They're just trying to stop Trump. It has nothing to do with justice. So, moving on. Obama arrogantly mentions himself at almost 400 times again during a speech on foreign soil. He said shit like collectively in Europe right now, as an average, you probably see the highest standard of living a group of people in the history of the planet, wealthier, healthier, and better educated. Tom Elliott, I'm not going to play the soundbite. I'm sick of hearing Obama talk, but... Uh, Obama mentioned himself an eye-popping 392 times in roughly 90 minutes. Elliot notes that in his 90-minute speech, Obama said, I, 274 times, me, 25 times, my, 31 times, I'd, 9 times, I'm, 41 times, myself, 7, and Obama said his name, 5 times in 90 minutes. Great statements in this. One of the things I do worry about sometimes among progressives in the United States, maybe it's true here as well, is a certain kind of rigidity. And then we start something created, what's called a circular firing squad, with purity tests. Barack Obama thinks it's creating a circular firing squad to demand criminal bankers to go to jail, wealth not to be stolen from workers, plutocrats. The left got pissed, but then the left said... Obama created this mess. <laughs> he did. He was the one that started it. I mean, goddamn. I thought that was funny. Then there's the conservative on WAPO. I just wanted to hit this one up front because I think it's really, really good. Ab- Jennifer Rubin. Abrams is one of the most effective communicators of politics today because she has a complete command of facts. She's emphatic and often witty. Complete <laughs> command of the facts. She's still saying, I lost an election. Norse Thunder, I lost because of voter suppression. I increased voter turnouts in the poll and historic numbers. Ruben, Ruben, such an effective communicator and master of the facts. No, she didn't. And then lastly, I believe, before we go into our hate tweets and get this, this party started. Um... Exclusive documents detailing Google's news blacklist shows manual, manual manipulation of the algorithms. Google does manipulate the search results manually, contrary to the company's official denials. Documents obtained exclusively by Daily Caller indicate two official policies dubbed the misrepresenting 
misrepresentation policy, and good neighbor policy inform the company's XPA News Blacklist, which is maintained by Google's Trust and Safety Team. TNS will be in charge of updating the blacklist, and when there is a demand, reads one of the documents, the deceptively news domain blacklist is going to be used by many search features to filter problematic sites that violate the good neighbor and misrepresentation policy, the document says. Ben Gnomes is Google's head of search, reportedly directly to CEO Sundar Pachi. Pandu Nayak is Google fellow. And Paul Haar is a software engineer whose bio on Google's internal network, MoMA, indicates that he is also involved in fringe ranking, not showing fake news, hate speech, etc., etc., The purpose of the blacklist will be to bar the sites from surfacing in any search feature or news products. It will not cause a demotion in organic search results or de-indexing them. What that means is that targeted sites will not be removed from the 10 blue links portion of search results. But the blacklist applies most of the other searches like top news videos or... Sorry. Sorry about the phone. I forgot to shut it off. In a section of the memo entitled Eligibility for GNP Good Neighbor Policy Enforcement, the types of search results impacted by the policy described. If your product shows any of the following, misrep and GNP would apply. Show content from users and news publishers. Output single answers. Shows content owned, licensed, or edited by Google. The 10 blue links may not be impacted by the blacklist, but virtually every other kind of Google search result is. While hard numbers are not available for how much traffic is directed through the 10 links versus the other search blocks, since the latter appears so high on the result page, the impact could be significant. Focus on the user, said a source at Google. Describe the program to the caller. Users need to trust in any content that Google shows them, whether it's the 10 blue links or any other special search, Sundar Parchi testified on 11th. This is working at scale. We don't manually intervene on any particular search results, but they do. So this is exactly what we thought it was. They are repressing conservative sites, not because they put out fake news, like the left says. They put out news nobody wants to hear because it's against the left. So they have manual lists where they block it to come from the top page. That's why when I search... Abortion, I get positive stories. That's when I search Russia, all I get is the Trump's the devil, not, hey, Hillary gave her our uranium and actually was working with Ukraine, and it looks like it was pretty illegal too. That's why when you search the whole server, it was all positives, not the truth. This is no surprise for anybody who uses Google extensively. I do, for this podcast. And it's obvious, they push to the left. There's no doubt in my mind. To our hate tweets. Hate tweet of the day! I'm pissed off, and I'm angry, and I'm disgusted, and I made a video ranting about it, but I don't even think I want to post it because I don't want to give them that much attention. We'll see what, where it goes. You know, I'll, I'll keep the video on ice, and we'll, we'll just see how far they want to take this, but I'm ready to go to war. I'm ready to go to motherfucking core. 
you're not going to take a symbol of happiness and acceptance and, and multiculturalism and turn it into something racist and anti-Semitic and homophobic and transphobic. You're not going to do that on my watch. You're not. So Pepe, he belongs to me now. Pepe the, fo the frog with his curly ass Afro clown wig belongs to me. That is a symbol of the resistance now. I encourage you all to share. I'm going to Photoshop a picture of Pepe with, the, with just tons of pro-LGBTQ symbols and pro-black symbols. And, and, and we are taking Pepe back. He's mine. I'm adopting him. I'm saving him from these freaks, these degenerates who think that it's okay to take a symbol of, of happiness and, and just, just, it's disgusting. It literally, it's sickening. It's sickening that people would take such a positive thing like clowns and try to make it into a symbol for your racism. You're pathetic. The clown emoji belongs to us, the Lunchables. Pepe the Frog, the clown version, and just him in general, honestly, because he's been through a lot. He belongs to us, the Lunchables. You thought, you really thought, you neckbeard, Cheeto, dust, butt-sniffing, fart-sniffing, living with your mother, father, grandma, I don't care, you fucking assholes. I have adopted Pepe, and he's mine. They want to, oh, we're going to put the symbol out there. You put it out there. Well, guess what? I grabbed his ass and now he's mine. You cannot take this from me. I will not let you. Clowns are a symbol of happiness and acceptance. And like I said, multiculturalism, we embrace everybody. We embrace you whether you're black. I have no fucking, I have no fucking idea what the hell that is. That is a girl in a clown face. Ranting. It was viral and I just hated it other things thousands of elderly patients go blind in Britain due to eye surgery rationing but there's no murder boards or, or death boards like Sarah Palin said so long ago there always is in socialized medicine minimum wage increase in New York City leads to job losses and price increase a total of 76.5% of, of full-service restaurant respondents reduced employee hours and 36% eliminated jobs. Also, 75% of limited-service restaurants respondents reported they will reduce employee hours and 53% eliminate jobs in 2019, and they're increasing prices by 1.6%. Yes. Yes. Fight for 15 is awesome. Matthew Yunglazy. Nobody likes to give themselves credit for this kind of messaging success, but progressive groups did a really good job of convincing people that Trump raised their taxes. John Harwood. No wonder Trump GOP tax cut is so unpopular. Just 17% of America think their tax were cut. News, NBC, Wall Street Journal poll. Everybody said, well, you're not supposed to say that out loud, Matt and Glazies, but they did a great job. Sure they did. But anybody who's smarter than an average bear, I got 600 bucks back, dude. I haven't got that back in like five years, and I made the same amount of money. Yeah. Tina McGrath is our next hate tweet. Tatiana, I'm sorry, Tatiana McGrath may be well one of our favorite parody accounts because there are still so many people who can't tell that she isn't real. Don't take our word for it. Check this out. 
Izzy Wazerstein. Reminder, don't make your character straight unless it really matters to the story. Tatiana McGrath. I can't think of a single novel or movie which wouldn't be improved by eliminating the heterosexual characters. And this lady noticed it. I agree! But kind of weird that you didn't just quote tweet me. Ian Michael Chong. The real accounts are worse than the parodies feminists. This tells you just how ridiculous modern day feminists really have become. And it's true. Men can have vaginas, something. True story. This editor has no idea what they're pushing these days. <laughs> it's so true. British actress, writer, and singer Natasha Hodson recently came across something incredibly disturbing. And this just sums up the left. I was going to put it in the college crazy, but I, I put it up here. Natasha Hodson. Ah, yes. The two sides of heterosexuality, commerce and toil. Those are some highly problematic greeting cards for sure. You're the kind of girl I'd buy... I'd buy something for. You're the kind of boy I'd make a sandwich for. Oh, it's I'd buy flowers for and I'd make a sandwich for. So Sarah Phelps, who responded to it, What the fuck is this? Jesus shitting Christ, I was born in the 60s and I remember the fucking 70s and 80s and still this fucking shit. Mother of God, I will kill. People, calm down, Sarah. Why do you want to kill someone over a Hallmark com? Just don't buy it. Sarah Phelps again, just finished watching the three-part doc on iPlayer about the Yorkshire Ripper investigation, which is when I was an adolescent. My first memories of moving to womanhood was, yeah, this shit... Make men kill you. And look at these bullshit cards. Fucking no! What, where, what is wrong with you that you lose your shit over a card? Just don't buy it! 90% of the world wants that card because they still recognize boys and girls, you Fruit Loops. And then we have our hate from our media, as usual, Hollywood. Video Venom, 40 March TV shows, slam Traitor, Trump, and his faux Christian Hench characters. I'm going to play this every month that it comes out, folks, because this this is why our country's divisive. It's not Trump and his tweets. You're saying if you are president and Donald Trump is out of the White House, you will then continue to prosecute him and his various Hench characters. I don't need the Mueller report to know he's a traitor. I have a TV. We're sorry that we called you a Russian pea-loving, pumpkin-headed Kalutosaurus. <laughs> Portions of that name were not accurate. Say, I would say to him, Don, why are you such a putt? <laughs> I feel that this president is an unindicted co-conspirator in a felony investigation, and he shouldn't be allowed to appoint justices until that matter is cleared up. I don't want these faux Christians talking to me about, you know, how to treat people right. if we can't treat the needy. Since the day our founding fathers signed the Declaration of Independence, our country has been run almost exclusively by old white men. When did Trump and Kavanaugh become our idea of an aggrieved man? Quivering lips, blaming everyone but themselves. I mean, it's weird. And yeah. like, like, why are so many grown men just obsessed with this, like, 29-year-old? I mean... This next one starts with... The only thing worse than Handmaid's Tale might be the insufferable self-righteousness and self-promotion of its stars. Here's Elizabeth Moss. 
When you're kneeling on the steps in front of the Lincoln Memorial, you're looking at where MLK gave his I Have a Dream speech, you're in the Alpha to Complete Lack of Freedom, and your president's a few blocks away arguing about putting up a wall. You can't help but feel that you have the responsibility to tell this story. And I feel honored to be able to express what I think, what I feel, and what a lot of other people feel through what I love doing. For me, it's an unfortunate thing. I wish this was crazy, and I wish Handmaid's Tale was insane Game of Thrones shit. And pure fantasy. I wish that was true. But it's not. The entire world said, wait a minute. If it's not, you couldn't say that. If it's not, there'd be no abortion and you'd be stuck making babies. It's fucking bullshit. And on the heels of it, here comes Lindsey Graham. Today at 10 a.m., I will chair a hearing in the Senate Judiciary Committee on legislation I authored, the 20-week abortion bill called the Pain-Capable Unborn Child Protection Act. <laughs> Whoa, did they get upset. Susan B. Anthony list. At the Pain-Capable Bill Senate hearing, Lindsey Graham is pointing out the irony that we give children in the womb anesthesia for surgery because they feel pain, yet our laws do not protect babies aboard in the womb and the pain they endure. For every decade since Roe v. Wade, viability has moved up a week earlier. Marilyn Musgrave speaking at the Pain-Capable Bill press conference. She explains to deny the fact that unborn babies can feel pain is so unscientifically is to deny scientific evidence. United States is one of only seven nations in the world to allow abortion past 20 weeks. Is that correct, Lindsey Graham? Yes, that is correct. Leela Rose. Daily, Planned Parenthood kills 900-plus pre-born children. These babies are five weeks to 24 weeks old. At five weeks, a child's heart is beating. At 24 weeks, she can feel excruciating pain. Taxpayer fund this horror show. $1.5 million a day. It's time to defund. Yes. It is time to defund. Alexander Ocasio-Cortez. The far right loves to drum up fear and resistance to immigrants, but have you ever noticed they never talk about what's causing people to flee their homes in the first place? Perhaps that's because they've been forced to confront one major factor fueling global migration. You guessed it, boys and girls. Climate change. And she tweeted this insane, factless video from The Leap. From wildfires in Alberta to hurricanes in Puerto Rico, climate change is one of the reasons many of us are forced to leave our homes in search of a safer place to live. We keep hearing that migration is a crisis, and it is, for the people affected. But did you ever notice that the same leaders denying climate change are the ones drumming up fear and hatred against migrants? Hatred with horrific consequences. We know their arguments are lies. In the real world, immigration builds our economies. Wealthy countries are already facing aging populations and seriously taking on climate change will create millions more jobs than there are workers to fill them. But it's not about the truth. These leaders are stoking fear to divide the progressive majority so they can take power and protect the status quo. The rich getting richer by wrecking the climate and abusing workers. As the saying goes, the enemy does not arrive by boat. He arrives by limousine. More and more people in the climate movement are connecting the dots. To win climate justice, we need to oppose racism. 
We know the world's wealthiest countries have burned most of the carbon that is driving climate change today. Asserting the rights of migrants affected by these storms, floods and fires is a way of paying back our climate debts and refusing to be divided. When we fight together, we win. You know, I've been saying it for years. If you didn't lie, maybe more people would believe you. But when you were already at 11 years and 9 months left of our lives, which is fucking total, fucking jump the shark. What do you expect, folks? Do our tweets of the day. TMZ, Tory Smith poses with dead hogs after a kill. It's not clear from their article, even their tweet, that TMZ is trying to shame him, but they did it anyway. So, his response. Guys are staying out of trouble, so we need news somewhere. I'm a country boy. I hunt. I eat what I shoot. It's not a story. Just be happy that you aren't a hog, and I'm come for y'all, too. Good for fucking him. Gabriel Hoffman, never apologize for hunting. You got an army behind you. Anyway, the industry can help. Let us know. I retweeted him and said, I'm buying your jersey. And I am. I put one on order. I don't even like the freaking Panthers. But you know what? Why are you going to mess with the guy? It goes back to the same thing we keep talking about. If you leave people alone, if you just leave them alone, let them live their fucking lives, our country would be so better off. The next one comes from Jana Deplorable. Sheesh. We have racists everywhere. Racist. Key living person who wins argument with liberals. I'm sorry, any living person who wins articles with liberals. It's a beautiful young lady in a bikini with a t-shirt looking sexy on a beach. And I thought, man, that's a good message. Um, that's a good message. I'll take that message. But our tweet of the day is an audio one. And it will take us to our first music break and then into our violent left. And that sound bite's very long. Um, it's the Puerto Rican governor. It's Chelsea Handler. It's two different sound bites that I got of celebrities and a college. One's a celebrity, one's a college talking anti Semitism. One of them actually says, I can't stand the smell of gay people and Jews. He's an Islamist. So I just want to make sure you understand that. Um, but this one was by Carpe Duncan. It hasn't been banned yet. But it's a circus dog uh, being chased by a circus clown, and uh, it looks like a rodeo. I don't know. It's dog and CNN. It's the funniest shit. So enjoy and into some classic rock. We're going Zeppelin. You are the enemy of the people. Go ahead. Get out of here. Get out of here. Get out of here. Go home to mommy. Go home. Bye. Go home to mommy. Go home to mommy. Tell her to tuck you in bed. Uh, he's such a nice guy. Uh, get out of here. Get out of here. Get out of here.
Welcome back to Flyover Politics Podcast with Tony Reed. كنجيك عرض ما نمشيش نحن كنا نسكنوا في بلاس ونحن صغار في البلاس نسكنوا فيه يفي تخوا فامي جويف يسكنوا معنا صدقني ملي صغير الريحه نتاع الجويف ما نحملهاش ريحتهم هما ايزون اون اودور سبيسيال راهو لا لا سي با فري لا اسمع لي جويف توانسه وعائلاتنا ونعيشوا معاهم في الحاره اليهود ونعيشوا معانا توانسه اسمعني استنى لا لا انا علاش علاش اعطيني كلمه انا انا لي جويف دو ناتور انا ما نحملهمش معاهم توانسه توانسه هما ما انا ما عند ربي يا وليد يا وليد قول اللي تحب قول اعمل لي قول لي تحب اما انا نحكي لك احساسي ما نجمش نقعد معاهم عندك هما سامحوني في الكلمه اللي زومو سيكسويل انا بيرسونيلمون جو مي سون با اليز افيك يا وليد روحنا عندنا مشكله مش مع ديانا مع مع عنده ماهوش متسامح معناها لا مش متسامح لا ما نفتح على الاخر انا نتكلم اربع لغات ساعه لا 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 بارفيتمون وعشت في فرنسا وعشت في فرنسا وعشت في امريكا يا ودي شنو دخل هذا شنو تكون عايش في في الكرديز في مخك لازمك تقبل الاخر كيف ما هو مش تقبل ما نحملش تنقول له اكثر اقوى مني وتقول لي تقبل ما نحملهمش لي زومو سيكسويل اي لي جو مالكش بالنسبه لنا الحريه الشخصيه من نقدسها على الاخر كنت سواء اوموسيكسيو شو حاجه بينك وبين روحك وبين ربي امورك يا منال انا فهمت حاجه انا بيسفل انا بيسفل على الاخر راهو يس اي نو في الحصه الجايه نحكي خمس وكل حاجه برك انا مولوده في حاره اليهود وعشت معاهم ويهود توانسه ويحبوا تونس اكثر من باش عباد ماهمش I'm Ami Horowitz and I'm here on the campus of the University of North Carolina where UNC and Duke are holding a joint conference on the conflict in Gaza. So I came here to get a sense of the perspectives of the people attending the conference. This was a major conference with hundreds of students, professors and administrators who spent a weekend bashing Israel and whitewashing the terrorist organization Hamas. If it only stopped there. This is a professor who I asked about her views on the spate of attacks in New York by black teens on Jews and synagogues. Blacks have a lot of also reason to be angry at Jews now. The conference wouldn't allow me to film inside, so my sound guy set me up with a hidden mic. With very little prodding, the veneer of being anti-Israel in an effort to hide their hatred of Jews was easily scratched away and devolved into open anti-Semitism. I first asked them about the most powerful modern anti-Semitic trope. Does Jewish money control US government policy? US government yeah. policy. Oh, yeah. absolutely. You guys, not you guys. Yeah. Jewish lobbyists are very rich. The Jewish lobby is influencing our government and how that's changing US policy. That's yeah. that's why it's directly known wow. for everyone. And then the featured entertainment for the event came on stage. He proceeded to, well, let's let the video do the talking. I know it sounds out in deep stuff, but don't, don't, don't think of uh, Rihanna when you sing it. Think of, uh, not, don't think of Beyonce, think of Mel Gibson. Oh my God. Go get that to sing it. 
flying together because I need your help. I cannot be at this medical only. Oh! I'm in love with the Jew. She's a comedian, activist, best-selling author of the new book, Life Will Be the Death of Me, and you too, our favorite. Oh, she's on a sit-down comedy tour. It starts April 11th in Boston at the Orpheum. Chelsea Handler is back with us. Okay. Hello. Oh, no, 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 no. No, we don't touch anymore. No, no. Whatever. You think I'm going to bite you? Jesus Christ, what are you, insane? <laughs> Sorry, we'll I, didn't, to that I didn't know no, the new rules around right. here. That's right, new rules, we'll get to that too. But I, you know, I'm reading your book and uh, I'm feeling like a bad friend because I didn't realize you were suffering so much. I mean, oh, everybody took the 2016 election hard, but I didn't know it really knocked you down like that and it came. you came back stronger. That's what the book is about. Yeah, I had a midlife identity crisis once Trump won the election because I had never had my world feel so feel so unhinged, I think. And uh, I had to pay a psychiatrist to listen to me bitch about Donald Trump for about the first three weeks. And then once we got past that and we got to the real stuff, I realized the parallel there was my world becoming unhinged when I was a little girl. My brother died when I was nine years old. I had never related the two, but for me, as I can imagine, it must have been for so many people, it was a huge emotional trigger of everything being destabilized. And I realized just how spoiled and privileged I'd been all my life to realize, to be this upset and this out of 10 every day and the outrage and the anger. I just wanted to fucking fight people, you know? And I was like, I got to go see a psychiatrist. I mean, there is a lot in there about what I would call white guilt that you have. Yeah. And what what good does that do? I mean, you're right. We're lucky. Some people are lucky, others aren't. That's not fair. Life isn't fair. Well, no, but I think you can also focus on becoming a better advocate slash ally for people from marginalized communities and stop looking inside your own lane and look outside to others. But I but I I wonder. (laughs) But there's a lot of, you know, white so lame. There's a lot of white people hating on themselves. I don't think that's what first of all, that doesn't help minorities. I don't think, oh, boy, that makes me feel a lot better. She hates herself. Um, I, I just feel like we're kind of like self-flagellating ourselves, and it's not helping. It's maybe you don't. I don't. I disagree. I think self-flagellation is good with really? regard to this. I think we've misbehaved for so long that we need to get our shit together. And I believe, and I mean, I really am trying very hard to not think about my own experience and to think about other people's experiences. So in that vein, I think it's important to reach out and go, "What was your story like? What was your life like?" It's not like mine. I didn't have that many struggles. You know. I've never been hungry. I've never been assaulted. And I think something that you learn through therapy, which was so valid for me, is I didn't think I had a right to be in pain because I wasn't raped. I wasn't molested. I didn't have anything that I deemed as worthy of being uh, damaged. I had a brother who died, and I thought, I don't get to be in pain. I have this great life. I have a big career. I can do whatever I want. And the fact of the matter is, but you never, have to... But you everybody ha- has pain. And, well, of and course. You're, just, I, I, yeah, but I mean, like, just because you have pain doesn't mean somebody else doesn't have pain, too, or that we have to be in a competition about it. No, I don't think it's a pain competition. <laughs> I think it's important to recognize, I think, before you can be of use to other people, you do need to clear out yeah. your own injuries or clean out your own injuries. Okay, but so, when I feel shitty, 
I'm not going to feel bad about feeling shitty because somebody feels shittier than me. Because somebody in the world is always going to be doing worse than me, and I still feel shitty. But I'm only in my head. Well, then you should feel shitty. I, I mean, do. that's your prerogative. Uh, no, I don't want to feel shitty, and I don't want you to feel shitty. But well, yeah, I mean, I think we're all on our own little yeah, path. Yeah, maybe so, we're saying you know, whatever works for you. So, Listen, I'm a more mindful citizen because of it, and the, I woke up, I had an awakening. The and best so, part of it is that you found weed. Trump, well, yes. Trump led you to, to weed. I could have told you years ago. But uh, Trump led you to smoking pot. Right? right. Cut down on your drinking. What I discovered was alcohol and outrage are not a good mix. It's like a hat on a hat. So I, I pivoted. Right. I pivoted towards weed and cannabis. And for me, who's a very active kind of high-strung person, I needed... The cannabis was a gateway drug to meditation for me. I couldn't meditate because I was always like, dee, 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 dee. and then with cannabis, I was like, okay, I think I can maybe meditate now. <laughs> and then I had my awakening, and I'm like, wait, fuck Trump. We've got so many other beautiful things going on. Right. Of course, we can't. But there is optimism. Hey, there you go. There's beautifulness. Like, there's beautiful things happening. And, and while terrible things happen, beautiful things are being are happening as well. And, and I, I think it's important to realize I that. I understand you're working on something that would take the munchy factor out of smoking pot, which would be great for me. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, well, you're not fat anymore. Anymore? <laughs> when was I ever fat? I only said that because I knew it would bother okay, you. Okay. No, you were never. <laughs> no, fat. it would bother but... me if I had been fat, but I don't remember being fat. <laughs> we need to get rid of the. But you used to be mean. That's over. Yeah, no, uh, I'm not mean anymore. Full so... of kindness and love. Can't you tell? <laughs> I can see how this thing has affected you. But um, but come on, are you serious that there could be a strain of pot that did not make us get the munchies? Yes, and you just have to isolate the strain because every girl doesn't want to take weed because she can't control herself. or she Me thinks too. I'm not a right. girl. I want that. Well, you also have to just control yourself and say before you... I can't. You... When I'm stoned, I will eat anything. And that's the good... The bad part is that you have this munchie thing. The good part is you'll eat anything. So if you only have healthy food in the house, you're, yeah. you know, yeah. you're, you're eating post-it notes and you're still... Well, that's filled, also you know, a good option but... is to clean out your house so that you can't get after stuff, you know, when it's okay. late night. I don't so, know how to order food, so I'm not going to get anything in my own I have to know what you think about Joe Biden and this whole thing. I think Joe Biden is just a grandfather. You know what I mean? And he's old and like, I'm not, I'm, I don't like uh, comparing, I don't like these stories of these women coming out talking about a man smelling their hair or kissing the back of their head. I feel like it diminishes people who have actually experienced That's what I was that. trying to say over there. I, I, I feel like this is a not really even a man-woman issue. It's an America issue about perspective. We have no sense of perspective. Everything has to be DEFCON 5 or DEFCON 1, actually. If the bully gets uh, close, uh, I'll punch the bully in the mouth. Just like that? Just like that. Uh, I, I don't... don't uh, it would be a mistake... Uh, to confuse courtesy with courage. A lot of hate just starting off, but, you know, it's okay for the Puerto Rican governor to say, I'll punch him in the mouth. It's okay for lefties to say anti-Semitic shit. It's all good. Man detained for allegedly threat to murder Trump, blow up Pentagon, close down I-68 in West Virginia. It was a big deal, and they got the 42-year-old male. Bruce... Mills. I'm sorry, that's not his name. What's his name? 
42-year-old man. They don't give him his name. They got him in Brewston Mills. Sorry. Fuck that story up. Uh, Israeli and USA Forever, Forever tweets our next one. Mexican with Trump hat gets harassed by psycho-liberal. This was in um, Palo Alto. And, yeah, this lady's a lesbian, you could tell. And she's pretty hateful. Don't talk to me and don't record me. Listen. Can you tell her not to record me? That's against the No, you just insulted me. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. I have a right not to be harassed. Government office. I have a right. I have a right not to be harassed. You have no reason to harass me because of my hat. It doesn't matter. You have no reason to harass me just because I'm wearing a Trump hat. What is wrong with you? I didn't harass her. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Did I say anything? Yes, you did. I you have no right reason here. to harass me. Where is the supervisor? He is the president of America, I and I should wear whatever I want. Where is your supervisor? Exactly. Do not harass me because of my hat. Call the cops. I don't care if you don't agree with it. I have the right to wear it. Uh, I okay, racist. Okay, racist. I'm a Mexican racist against the <laughs> against the white. Yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a, yeah. I'm a Mexican racist against a white like you. Yeah, I'm so racist. Listen to your argument. But whatever you do, do not harass me. Do not harass me. You have no right to harass me. I know, public officer. And you just lay your hands on me. I don't care what you do. I didn't lay my hands on you. Yeah, she didn't take it. I said don't take it. Look at that. What is wrong with you? No, no, no more. No more, please. No more, no more. That's it. That's it. Where's my receipt? Let's go. Look at you. Harassing people on the street because I'm wearing a hat with the Trump's, with the president's name on it. Look at you shaking. Look Get yourself you. together, seriously. Look at you. Yeah, look at you. Look Take my picture you. and make sure you share it everywhere because I support the president of America. And if you don't agree with that, you should move somewhere else. I am Mexican. Get my address. Got it. You should move somewhere else if you don't like it here. If you don't like America, you should move out of America. Go to Mexico. Go to Central America if you don't like being here. If you don't like who the president is. And don't ever lay a hand on me. You hear me? Nobody don't ever lay a hand on me. Nobody touched you. You psycho. Nobody touched you. I don't care. Record me all you want. I don't care. If I was afraid, I wouldn't be wearing Nobody this hat in the middle you. of the street. Nobody for touched people you. crazies like you to harass Nobody me. Nobody touched you. Psycho. Full story. This all happened in a Starbucks, and I could read a long thing, but she's evil. Palo Alto police, and she lost her job. So, there you go. That's a story. <laughs> <laughs> like four pages on a podcast script, but she got hers. I like that. Deplorable uh, choir antifa's a joke. Look at this guy trying to intimidate or shut down our sh- shut our show down, but gets run off by a Trump loving woman. This is a good soundbite. I wish I had my cowbell. What the fuck? Do you even know what sodomy means? That means sticking something up somebody's ass, you asshole. Legally, maybe you should do that. Maybe you should stick places. your own head up. Legally, your ass it means oral huh? sex in many states in, in America. Actually, Wait, have huh? I messed up your night? Why are y'all following? Can you leave him alone? No, you back the fuck. No, I'm not, man. Really? I'm not. Mike, you want a fucking problem with your bitch? No, there's going to be some fucking ass shit. There's going to be some fuck out. Let's fucking go. Chill the fuck out. There's going to be some space between you and him. Back the fuck up. Stay back. Hey, hey, chill the fuck out. Stay the fuck back. Yeah, you keep following me, I fucking am. Are you scared? No, I'm not scared. Walk away and I can make sure nothing happens. 
Okay. Just Are walk you away to walk away, please. Away, you no, I'm gonna coward. fucking face these people. Great. Well, like I'm just trying to make sure there's no violence is gonna happen. Hey, you know, if you want to make sure there's no violence, get them to walk the other way. Good for her. Then we got this one, which I think is just, it sums up our country in a nutshell. We will take a word that Trump says or conservative, twist it, wrap it in a pretzel and say it's racist. But when this happens, we don't even report it. Only black reporters allowed to cover event for black mayoral candidates. One of liberal Democrats' favorite tactics these days is to smear anyone who doesn't agree with them as a racist. However, they don't always follow their own rules. That philosophy was on full display in Savannah, Georgia on Wednesday night when reporters attempted to cover an event for candidates in the upcoming mayoral election were greeted with signs that said black press only. An article by the Daily Wire. Attendance at Bolton Street Baptist Church was even more restricted than that. No audio video recording would be allowed. Prestigia Como then quoted the Savannah Morning News for noting that the event was coordinated by Reverend Clarence Teddy Williams, owner of the Trigon Group Consulting Group, to garner support for just one black candidate in Savannah's mayoral election. She comes no surprise that Williams would not comment on his attendance policy. While several black reporters and public officials attended the gathering, none of them would state they agreed with the overtly racist a policy, but CNN wasn't there, and NBC wasn't there, or I could keep listing names of fucking networks. No! Didn't cover that! Let me just do an event and say, that's only. It would be construed as white nationalists. You know that. You know it. If I put on SoundCloud, this is only for vets, this podcast, that would be wrong. They, they would root that out. It would be just, oh my God, he's a white nationalist. Then this wizardry from fucking Britain. Knives are too sharp and filing them down is a solution, says a judge in Britain. They've had a 22% increase in stabbing, 77 knife-related incidents in Bedfordshire, including three killings. Nowhere in this fucking court ruling did he say it's because it's a goddamn immigration policy and you let Muslims come in and they're killing people. No. Went back and researched. That's their killings. But, you know. And then we come back to America for some more race things. Sorry, I kind of put this out of order. I should have had this right after the black-only event. Here's our media. The Confederate States? What the fuck? Jim Crow? Starting in 1890, the former Confederate states had sought constitutional conventions that suppressed the black vote. I'll give you a dramatic example. In 1898, there were 130,000 black men registered to vote in Louisiana. By 1904, that number had been reduced to 1,342. Think about that. And, and that happened in large part because the terror campaigns, because of the Klan, because governments weren't, uh, weren't doing their jobs? Is, it, is this what we're going to also read about in Stony the Road? Oh, yes, absolutely. Look, voter, voter suppression and a very conservative Supreme Court that in 1883 declared the Civil Rights Act of 1875 unconstitutional. So think about it. Twelve years of black freedom followed by an alt-right rollback and a president who refused to renounce 
white supremacy, Andrew Johnson. Does this sound familiar? Well, I was just going to bring up that moment. Is What parallels do you see to today's climate, where we're seeing acts of white nationalism, white supremacy, violence attached to it? Those numbers are rising, according to statistics. You know, how is that? What roles did the election of Barack Obama play to this? And then now, is President Trump stoking those fears and those violence? It, the, what, uh, it's the perfect parallel. The reason that Dylan McGee and I decided to do this series now was because eight years of black freedom, as it were, under Barack Obama, basically drove a lot of people crazy. And we saw this rise of um, white supremacy that I don't know about you, but I thought been long buried. It's like a, a bad Dracula movie, man. You thought, damn, aren't you dead? Didn't we put a stake in your heart? And then it comes back. So that the, the closest historical parallel to what we're seeing today with the rise of uh, white supremacy as a backlash to the Obama administration is the collapse of Reconstruction. And that's why so I wrote the book and that's why we did this series. So, Professor, let me ask you, are you a bit more hopeful, though, where we are today, the results of 2018, the demographic changes that are happening in this country? Do you see the rise of Donald Trump and these forces that we're so concerned about? Do you see that more as a death rattle, as perhaps white supremacists last stand before the new, uh, we called it the Obama coalition, the Obama uh, majority before that uh, really is felt in America in a permanent way? Well, if we had lost the House uh, in, in the last election, I would really uh, be worried. But fortunately, we didn't, and now we have checks and balances. But I'm still worried about a very conservative Supreme Court. Think about um, affirmative action is under attack, the right of a woman to have an abortion is under attack. The, um, the, the, the lesson of Reconstruction is that things, values, principles that we think are permanent actually... And how about this for a second act? After returning home to Beaufort, South Carolina, Robert Smalls was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives, one of more than a dozen African Americans to serve in Congress during the period known as Reconstruction, when the formerly rebel states were reabsorbed into the Union and four million newly freed African Americans were made citizens. Yeah, I'm, 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 not, I'm just wondering what that debate stage looks like. I mean, it's going to have to be, you know, 500 yards long. Um, and I wonder, you know, how we, how the Democrats actually can, you know, with so many candidates, actually find a candidate that truly addresses the issues of the moment at this yeah. moment in history and take on Trump. Because you wonder if, if the field gets just watered down. Yeah, well, look to Joe's point. I think the bundlers are waiting to make up their minds. A lot of voters are, too. The debates are going to be a great stage for that to thinning out to happen. But, I, you know, one of the things that has been so exciting to watch in this incredibly crowded, incredibly diverse field of candidates is the kinds of issues that are rising to the national level of conversation that haven't been part of presidential campaign conversations before. And, you know, the bread and butter issues are always going to be the same, health care and the economy and national security. They're always going 
going to have to stake out those, those positions there. But we're also having conversations about things like reparations and, uh, yeah. and Medicare for all and the Electoral College. Um, you know, if Stacey Abrams chooses to get in, so much of her career was built on uh, bringing in disenfranchised voters and talking about voter suppression and, and how to find it. So there's all these different parts of the, of the, of what make us who we are as a country and that matter in different ways to a lot of voters. Uh, and those could be the kinds of things that cause a candidate to be able to separate from the pack and to, to rise yeah. to the top in a way that they haven't in, in previous campaigns. Amna Nawaz, national correspondent for PBS NewsHour. Thanks again for being on. Good to have you back. First and foremost, Camelia Harris, you put those people in jail. Secondly, I want us to make sure we understand if there's no repercussions in our society, which is what the left is going for, we have fucking anarchy. That's why they want this socialism. But they, what they don't realize is when it starts impeding on their lives inside the bubble, they're not going to like it that much. But the left is so desperate to win elections, it's just not enough to say electoral college now. It is felons, illegals voting. I mean, Jesus Christ, people. Do you know how bad you look? Mm. Then we have this violence, because this is going to be violent for the poor person. Far-left activists, Democrats, media spread deceptively edited clip of Trump calling MS-13 gang members animals. This was so rampant, C-SPAN kind of let it go that it was true. And it took CNN to go, no, no, that's not true. That's that's not what's happening. They said he didn't say it. They just edited it wrong. These are people, these are animals, Trump said, in response to MS-13 gangs. Not illegals. But that's not what Kristen Gillibrand, Pete Butling, Tom Perez, David Hogg, Anna Navarro, Christine Teigen, Joy Reid, Ben Rhodes, Mike Gillette, Sherilyn Eiffel, Yvette Clark, Congressman T.J. Cox, Democrat Chrissy Houlihan, New York Times college columnist Wajidi Ali. Nope, 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 and nope. We're going to say that he said it again, just like they did the fucking first time. But Beto said, fuck that shit. Hold my goddamn beer. I'm just going to outright lie. Listen to this. It's just like one, two, three, four different lies. Trump said we have an infestation of MS-13 gangs. Travel ban is not a Muslim ban. Trump never said neo-Nazis and KKK members are very fine people. The remaining comments need more context because this guy just... I compared the rhetoric that the president has employed to rhetoric that you might have heard during the Third Reich. Uh, calling human beings an infestation is something that we might have expected to hear in Nazi Germany. Uh, describing immigrants who have um, a track record of committing violent crimes at a lower rate than native-born Americans as rapists and criminals. Seeking to ban all Muslims, all people of one religion. What other country in the face of the planet does that kind of thing? Or in our human history? Or in the history of the Western world? Um, because they are somehow deficient or violent or a threat to us, um, putting kids in cages, uh, saying that neo-Nazis and Klansmen and white supremacists are very fine people. Uh, you draw your own conclusions, uh, but this is not something that I expected to hear a president of the United States of America ever say. So the HHS, or Homeland Security lady, fucking, I would play, I'm not going to play the soundbite, it, 
The media just spit venom. They don't want her to get jobs. They don't think she should have anything. ACLU, we are partner and have issued a travel advisory urging immigrants and people of color to use extreme caution when traveling to Florida due to their draconian anti-immigration bill. AG conservative, embarrassing and offensive. The bill is a question relates to punishing sanctuary cities. It has nothing to do with people of color. But that's how far they went this week. They just keep on pushing. They want everything. WAPO, skipped immigration status of Muslim girls, brutal rape and murder. Never once did they say the guy was an illegal, shouldn't even been here, is from El Salvador. They just don't stop. They just don't stop. And it culminates with Como. So after they go on a whole week of she's an evil person, she shouldn't get jobs, go to schools, do anything. Cuomo has the balls to fucking say he's never heard a person ever say they want open borders. Yet Beto's done it numerous times. Next one. Um... Okay, this is about, again, another straight attack on, hey, it's not me, it's got to be somebody else. Okay, it's Obama. Okay, it's the Democrats. You don't like my way, you know what they want? Open borders. Take a listen. With the Democrats in Congress not willing to act, they want to have open borders, which means they want to have crime, they want to have drugs pouring into our country. Now, Daniel, before you grade this one, on this show I say all the time, I do not get the Democrats are refusing to own this opportunity here. There's opportunity to help the CBP, give them what they need on the border, expose how the fence was a farce as a complete fix. They've been very quiet, although California Governor Gavin Newsom is in El Salvador. He's got a message from there. We're going to have him on later. How do you judge this in terms of truthiness? Well, I think the phrase open borders is an effective piece of political framing, but mm. that's in part because it's so rarely challenged for its factual inaccuracy by the media. And I think we should challenge it because it's, it's, it's simply not at all accurate. You know, Democrats, of course, support a less restrictive immigration policy than Trump. For example, they don't support a border wall. But over the last 10 years, they've offered billions of dollars and voted for billions of dollars in various kinds of security to the Border Patrol for sensors, you know, for high-tech imaging systems. And so it's simply not true to say that Democrats want open borders when they support all kinds of restrictions that are that are simply not a wall. In fact, the fencing that the president is saying he's building right now, we have a fact check on that in a second, a lot of it is money appropriated by Congress, including Democrats, for That's, more absolutely. fencing. Never heard a single one say that they are for open borders. And we ask. I, I don't even know how to act on this. There was a whole soundbite I was going to play. I'm trying to cut out the soundbites, but... Dude, they even went on the border policy and tried to defend him and say, oh, no, 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 Obama didn't do this. There was a soundbite of a person that was actually on his staff that said, there was a difference. We separated families to protect them. That was their excuse. Because somebody on the panel on CNN said, no, 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 you, you did. You did separate families. You did put kids in cages. All these pictures we've been seeing are from you, not Trump. The whole immigration thing is just, it it wells up when we don't have Russia, and they get more and more extreme, and I just, I don't understand. But most of our hate of late has been anti-Semitic. I'm going to play a Netanyahu soundbite. This is from the media. 
This is the media. And they literally hate the man because he's Jewish. Not because of any other reason. These are people, and I slipped in a Linda Sassauer, and it literally, literally sounds like her. Even Mika, because he won and they were pissed. And that'll take us into our first soundbite of the media, and it's Booker's Town Hall. It's brief, it's succinct, but it's not the only one with the media supporting these Democratic candidates. But historically, this is the point tonight, American presidents from both of our parties have abstained from getting involved in Israeli politics, opting instead to play the roles of, two roles, friend of Israel, but also regional honest broker. Not this time. President Trump broke with his predecessors, taking a number of steps to help ensure that his friend, Bibi Netanyahu, was victorious today. Since the 2016 election, the president has moved the American embassy to Jerusalem, withdrawn from the Iran nuclear deal, formally recognized Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights. And just days before the election, he designated Iran's Revolutionary Guard a foreign terrorist organization. Trump even invited the Israeli Prime Minister to the White House two weeks before the election. There they are, posing for a photo op in the Oval Office. President Trump has forged no deeper political bond than with the one he has with Benjamin Netanyahu. I've been following the Middle East like every grown-up American who lives in this country. We all follow Middle East negotiations and politics. And always our president, from Eisenhower, from all the way up to W, although some lean towards Israel more, some lean against it a little bit, their government... They've always played this other role as honest broker in the region so they can bring peace and play a bigger global role than just being buddies with Israel. This president has ignored his global role, ignored the role, forfeited that a peacemaker or honest broker, and just played political sidekick. In just a few hours, Israeli voters will go to the polls. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu faces a tight race as he seeks a fifth term, and he is getting a lot of support from outside Israel. Seth Doan is in Jerusalem. There's nothing subtle about this five-story high billboard. Benjamin Netanyahu has practically put President Trump on the ballot in this election. I brought you a case of the finest wine from the Bouillon. The Israeli prime minister has underlined the recent U.S. recognition of Israel's sovereignty over the Golan Heights, seized from Syria in 1967. We saw the Trump effect in a Tel Aviv market. What do you think about President Trump? For Israel, it's good. Netanyahu is facing corruption charges and the first serious challenge in years from this candidate, former Army General Benny Gantz. President Trump figures very prominently in this campaign. His relationship with Prime Minister Netanyahu is certainly seen as an advantage here. Isn't it a disadvantage for you? I think the relationship between people is important, but the relationship between countries is even more so. And I want to start first with uh, what we heard the president say there. He was uh, uh, reprising something he said on Friday uh, on a visit to the U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, I keep thinking about the new Colossus, that poem by Emma Lazarus, about the tired and the poor yearning to be free, coming to the United States, emblazoned on the Statue of Liberty here uh, in New York City. This, uh, this, sir, is a startlingly different message the United States is sending to the world. He is creating this hype again, this division, this hatred of most vulnerable communities. This hate against immigrants Mm. is a page from the Nazi Germany's playbook. And the result of that was Second World War. He is following that 
line all over again, sowing division and hatred, because most of America has figured it out that he does not have any policy. If he had any policy, his people would have been his supporters and the people in his government would have been working what is causing this surge so that they can diffuse this surge instead of going to the border, making a statement, mm -hmm. and causing more division and more hatred among people. Lynn Sweet is with me here in New York. Lynn, I see you nodding, and, and, and that comment there, this analog to, to the Nazi regime, is something that we heard from Congress, former Congressman Pedro O'Rourke. I, I would like to pick week. up on that, and I, I, I thank Mr. Khan for bringing it up, because of all the groups speaking to the Republican Jewish coalition to say that the country is full. I just want to read something from the United States Holocaust Museum that I pulled in anticipation of this coming up that I think is a reminder that of all the groups he was talking to, and this is from the Holocaust Museum, when you think about a welcoming country, like most other countries, the United States did not welcome Jewish refugees from Europe. In 1939, 83% of Americans were opposed to the admission of refugees. That is something to think about, that of all the groups that the president would go to and all the groups that were not picking up on the point afterwards that the country is full up, you would have thought that of all the groups that are, and, and with the exception, I guess, of this group, it has been Jewish groups that are well aware of the anti-Jewish immigration policies of the 1930s that with other nations they kept Jews who were ended up being murdered during the Holocaust from coming to the United States. So you would think that of all the groups of President Trump to give the message the country is full, saying that to a Jewish group is particularly, particularly uh, something. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu appears set to be re-elected to a fourth consecutive term in office and fifth overall. Near-complete results show Netanyahu's Likud party with a very narrow victory. The election was seen as a referendum on the divisive and bombastic Netanyahu. And if the results stand, he would become the longest-serving leader in Israel's history. It's not all in the clear for him, though, as Israel's Attorney General recommended indicting Netanyahu on a host of corruption, bribery, and fraud charges. Netanyahu has called the investigation a witch hunt. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Netanyahu's Likud party has confirmed it hired and gave hidden cameras to 1,200 polling station observers, claiming it was an effort to expose voter fraud. 
Hidden cameras have been captured in several Israeli Arab towns and several people have reportedly been detained surrounding an effort to hide a camera in an attempt to disqualify one polling station. Secret, secretly recording in polling places is illegal in Israel. Big story this morning here in New York City. This front page of the New York Daily News. The wow. mayor saying, get your damn shots. The because I see the way cynical Republicans are trying to make it harder and harder for people to vote, especially African-Americans. And so the cure for these anti-democratic, the cure for these anti-democratic problems is not to surrender to cynicism about the system. It's to get up, get involved, get engaged, and let's change it together. Yeah, I can see that you're warmed up and you've been out on the campaign trail. We've got more to come, though. We're going to be right back with more from CNN's Democratic Presidential Town Hall with Senator Cory Booker, live from Orangeburg, South Carolina. So make sure you stay with us. Nice job. <laughs> nice job. That's pretty bad. Good job, buddy. I had two more back to this. There's Mitchell uh, basically thanking a candidate for running on climate change. And AOC, basically, they're saying in this soundbite that she is so eloquent. Really. With climate change, of course, a key issue on the minds of Democratic primary voters, Washington State Governor and 2020 hopeful Jay Inslee has made it central to his presidential campaign. And Jay Inslee joins me now. Governor, thank you very much. I know you were testifying today on Capitol Hill. Mm -hmm. Um, What do we need to know about how America has been basically ignoring this? We need to know that this is a matter of urgent peril, as Al just talked about. We are all on the front lines of climate change. I'm excited about what we're doing. I want to thank you for covering this issue. Well, thank you for raising the issue and bringing it to the higher level of a presidential campaign with that kind of platform. Neil, I want to turn and and get one more topic in here all fast. The Republican Party versus Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the freshman uh, Democrat in Congress from New York. Take a look at the crowd when Donald Trump Jr. appeared at a campaign-style rally for his dad earlier this week. air chanting her initials. You heard the word that followed. And today, Ocasio-Cortez responded by saying this is a pattern among those on the right, including the president. And she added that the president doesn't have another woman, Hillary Clinton or whoever else, to vilify anymore. Nia Malika, why is she such a magnet for conservatives? Well, she's incredibly charismatic. Uh, She is in some ways a symbol of where the country is going in terms of demographics. Uh, Here she is, a young Latina woman who upset uh, a Democrat in New York. And she's incredibly eloquent in terms of talking about Democratic Party values. And I think she's probably right. This idea that she's the new uh, boogie woman, the old boogie woman. Obviously, it was Hillary Rodham Clinton. We remember those chants of uh, lock her up, lock her up. Uh, They've moved moved on from that and, and found a, a new boogie woman in, in AOC. But listen, I mean, she's somebody who's got a real following on the left and probably has a real future in the party, even as there are people in the Democratic Party who are a little nervous about the kind of platform uh, she has. But I expect you'll probably hear more of that at those Trump rallies. It's so telling that we get this article. Poll underlines liberal media dominance in TV news. The Hollywood Reporter performed a poll on the news media, and the finding is still unexpected and shocking to some. The headline was, Americans think all networks' news channels lean liberal. 
2,200 Americans from March 28th to 2nd asked if certain media outlets were more liberal, more conservative, or had no political lean. The big three networks averaged about 35% saying more liberal, over 20% picking no lean. Count on the more liberal classification coming from conservatives, independents, and the delusion no lean answering come from liberals. One third of the same pick don't know. The numbers were more intense for cable news. 46% found CNN to be more liberal. 12% found no lean, while 43% said MSDNC is liberal. Yeah. And then you get sound bites like this because they're so pissed off that they lose to Fox. From where you sit, any lessons that we should learn from when this? When we say resistance media, we mean liberal bloggers, commentators, hosts who, you're right, we're rooting for an outcome who did want to find proof of an elaborate plot Conspiracy. between Trump yeah. and Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so far, we do not have evidence of that. And I do think when the final actual Mueller report comes out, People may feel underwhelmed once again. Right. I think we've got to wait to see what's in the report, but people may feel underwhelmed by that. Uh, we've got to differentiate between the reporters who are trying to get to the truth and the columnists and commentators who are rooting for an outcome. Yeah. Unfortunately, that line gets really blurry, it especially sure on cable news. It gets very blurry, yeah. and we'd all be better off if we made those distinctions more clear. I think that's We made smart, those yeah. lines more clear. So Fox News personalities, not surprisingly, are insisting that they are the paragons of journalism in that, uh, you know, the journalism virtue in that they didn't obsess over Mueller uh, the way others did. But in my opinion, Fox is not the antidote to this problem. It is the sedative. It is like the mm. roofie of this problem. I mean, you know, Fox isn't suspicious at all. If you can accuse some of being a little too suspicious, Fox has suspended suspicion and so you know i think i think fox is trying to get away with uh, you know whistling past a graveyard the the h word comes to mind hypocrisy there's a lot of hypocrisy in the past week from folks who were saying the media should apologize to trump well first of all there's no such thing as media right Right. everybody has their own version of media Mm -hmm. uh what i read on facebook what you read on twitter two different worlds very different worlds everybody has their own view of media these days Mm. but fox commentators are saying the mainstream media journalists and news outlets uh were too interested in this story I would back up and point out that there was a bipartisan consensus about the concern about Russia's attack against the United States. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of concern about Trump's lies and Trump world's uh, misleading statements about right. that attack. There was a lot of reason here to be suspicious. Yeah. And journalists' jobs are it's to ask to those suspicious. questions, to yeah. be suspicious. Now, a lot of the folks on Fox who are attacking uh, mainstream media right now, mainstream media, uh, they are saying that um, this, is a, this was a conspiracy theory. Mm. Well, some of those folks have also pushed their own conspiracy theories. Yeah. Maybe if you told facts, you wouldn't have that. I had another soundbite, a seltzer. Dictators win because of Trump. And then he said Trump wants to get rid of the judiciary. Both of them are false. And then we go into the next article. White House Correspondents Association hails CNN's Kavanaugh coverage. It was a symphony. Here are just some of the articles they did during Kavanaugh. Cuomo slams Kavanaugh hearing as Trav's mockery resurrect Guttenberg conspiracy. CNN assails Kavanaugh with debunked claim he's a choir boy. CNN raging Cuomo lashes out, smears Kavanaugh, lies about him. CNN Cuomo bitterly demands Kavanaugh not be presumed innocent. What? CNN MSNBC compare Brett Kavanaugh to convicted sexual predator Bill Cosby. If GOP confirms Kavanaugh, they're extinct like the dinosaurs. CNN panel blasts Kavanaugh supporters as racist. And la di da There's another 20 more. I could keep reading. It just keeps going. I mean, they're just clueless. 
They just, they're clueless to who they are. And how do I know that? Here's Yasher Ali. Yesterday, this is a very long tweet. I'm going to read it because you need to hear this. This is our media. The gist, an NBC reporter bashes Yasher Ali for putting out a story, and she did it on behalf of the DNC. Did I just stutter? No. Yesterday, I received a call from Dana Lizer, Daphna Lizer, Linzer. I don't know how to say her fucking name. I'm terrible with names. D-A-F-N-A-L-I-N-Z-E-R. He serves as managing editor of NBC and MSNBC Political. Daphna's conduct during the call was highly inappropriate and unethical. So what was the purpose of her call? She called me to bully me on behalf of the DNC. Daphna oversees the political coverage for NBC and MSNBC. was called to bully me into delaying a publication of innocuous scoop, and at no point did she advocate for her network. It was only about the DNC. Here's how this started. Yesterday morning, I received a tip from a trusted source. The source told me the DNC would be announcing the dates of the first 2020 primary debates later that day. The source gave me the dates. They would be announced. June 26th and 27th. At first, I thought it was just a fun tidbit that I could tweet out, but after I called the several presidential campaign staffers, I learned that all the damn campaigns were desperate to learn what the dates were going to be. I decided to post the scoop as an item in my newsletter. That wasn't a huge scoop, but it was a decent one, so I quickly called the DNC to fact-check the tip, and I was running out of time. The dates would be announced on MSDNC at 4 p.m. hour. It's important to note that almost all of my communication with the DNC was off-record. So I won't share most of what was said, but can tell you it's pretty run-of-the-mill stuff. I asked the DNC if my tip was accurate, and they asked me if they could call me back in 10 minutes. A few minutes later, they called me back and asked if I could delay posting my scoop for another hour so they could go through their important notification calls to the state parties. I told them I couldn't wait as the news would leak and then leave me without a story. That's all I can say about the call. Two minutes later, in comes Daphna. What kind of fucking name is that? I've never spoken to Daphna by phone. A couple years ago, she reached out to me to see if I wanted to have coffee and talk about working for NBC News, but I declined as I was actively investigating NBC Matters and thought it would be strange if I discussed the job. So when I saw Daphna calling, I assumed she would ask me to consider delaying my post so that MSDNC could announce it first. Given that this is an innocuous scoop but not something investigative story, I wouldn't have lost sleep if I had to delay, but that's not why she was calling. After exchanging pleasantries, Daphna told me that she received a call from the DNC and was told I I had a story. Now it's not strange the DNC called her. They were coordinating an announcement. That was strange was that she was calling me and taking a menacing tone. She asked if I could hold the story, and I said I wouldn't. She was agitated. Why not? I said, I'm not going to lose a scoop. Then she got angry and said, why not? It's not a big deal. Let them make a few phone calls. My jaw dropped. I realized that Daphne Lisner, the head of the political coverage for NBC News and MSNBC, wasn't calling to advocate for her network. She was calling to advocate the DNC's position. She wanted me to wait so they could call state party leaders thought to myself, this is how people think it works. It's not. But Daphne was doing it. She kept pressing me. Now, I acknowledge for stuff that isn't about serious investigative reporting, there's no problem holding something. But I knew once others got the call, I would lose a scoop. Daphne reminded me that she was a national security reporter at WAPO for 10 years, and they would hold stuff all the time, note, so people wouldn't get killed. Why can't you wait, let them make their calls, then you'll be first to put it into print, I couldn't believe what she was saying. Again, it was fine for me to print the story an hour later, beat her own network by three hours. She just didn't want 
to let the DNC inform state part. She wanted to the D- let the DNC do what they wanted to do. Why the hell did she care? I kept telling Daphna, no, I wasn't waiting, and she kept getting more frustrated. She was exasperated. She didn't understand why I couldn't wait for the DNC to make their calls. I was so surprised that she was talking this way with a total stranger. The head of the political division was trying to bully me at the behest of the DNC over a dumb scoop. Two-thirds of the way into the conversation, Daphna started a sentence with, this is off the record. She hadn't said it at the beginning of the conversation. It was important. At no point did I agree that she said off the record. I'm not one of those gotcha reporters. I think it's bad for sourcing relationship to make people like they constantly feel like they have to say off the record. But Daphne isn't a source and she was calling to intimidate me and she doesn't get the benefit. She said off the record one more time later in the call and again I just let her keep talking. I did not agree or anything. I then told her I had to go talk to my editor and that she got even more frustrated and I said no, I want I don't want to talk to you about this. And it goes on from there. Breaking. NBC political editor editor accused of bullying HuffPost reporter on DNC's behalf. HuffPo. Not the Daily Caller. HuffPo. I want you to think about this for a second. If this is a teeny thing that means nothing, What do you think is happening for big stories? Do you think the RNC can call NBC News and say, please don't print this, and they'd even listen? No wonder we don't find out any of the big things on Obama until after he left office. No wonder we can't find out any information about the fucking uh, FISA warrant or anything until years later. They work with the DNC. They're part of the DNC. How do you think Brian Seltzer, the media guy, got over there? Ali's tweet went viral, particularly on the night Laura Ingram called a proof that NBC News is an adjutant of the Democratic Party as if we needed it. Tucker Carlson led the APM show with the story. The banner said revealed NBC News was doing errands for the DNC. Here's what Carlson's show left out. The network strike deals with both Democrats and Republicans to broadcast debates. This has been happening for decades. NBC PR declined to comment when I inquired, but a source said to this, informing internal stakeholders, 15-plus presidential campaigns and debate partners of logistical detail an hour before it's public is completely in bounds and nothing more than run-of-the-mill event coordination done with both political parties. Carol Markowitz, I read Brian Seltzer's defense of MSNBC. I read the Yasher story. Then I read it again. It's like he accidentally pasted a paragraph from a different story. Who is challenging the network deals to broadcast debate? What the hell is the quote from this source supposed to even me? He didn't have a way to defend it, but he tried. Folks, that's earth-shattering. Because once again, what are they doing on the big shit? I mean, CNN, over the last month, Tucker Carlson commercial breaks have only had a smattering of ads for lesser-known brands. Might be the new normal for the Fox News host who has endured ad boycott campaigns. He made racist remarks on immigrants in December. By the way, he had 3,475,000 total, total viewers. Last week, and CNN Cuomo at 810, uh, uh, Cooper had 875, Lemon 789. The total CNN primetime was 2,400 votes. He beat him by a million. 
those stories go out, but not the other ones. I mean, seriously, folks, think about that for a second. That's your media. They work for the DNC. That's what they do. That's why we started this section with with fucking Lemon saying, good job, buddy. And we're going to end it with Gillibrand on her town hall totally lying. She says the NRA opposes background check because it wants to sell guns to people on the terror watch list. Gravely mentally ill with violent backgrounds or criminals convicted of uh, violent crimes. None of this is true. Nobody on CNN pushed a, uh, did any pushback. And that's what? Town hall number 7,000? Do you remember any town hall for Republicans last cycle in 16? I don't remember any. Our media is so lockstep, so lockstep with the DNC. They freak out over a release of debate times. What else does the DNC make them not print? I want you to think about that as we go to another Led Zeppelin music break and news, social media nuggets. Here's Gillibrand. be really clear about what the issue is. It's the NRA and it's greed. The NRA is largely funded by the gun manufacturers. The gun manufacturers want to make money at all cost. It doesn't matter who they're selling the gun to. The reason why they're against universal background checks is they want to sell a weapon to somebody on the terror watch list. They want to sell a weapon to someone gravely mentally ill with a violent background. They want to sell a weapon to someone with a criminal conviction for a violent crime. Feather in the wind 
welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. generation man all you people we're all together man it's groovy and dig yourselves because it's really groovy now it's time for news and social media nuggets the crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind it's a whole new ball game on campus these days and they call it pc pc politically correct and it's not just politics it's everything it's what you eat it's what you wear and it's what you say if you don't watch yourself Get in a buttload of trouble. For instance, we have right see two. these girls? Yep. No, you don't. Those are women. You call them girls and they'll pop your figs. Save the whales. Gays in the military now. I was honored to meet Staff Sergeant Patricia King and Captain Jennifer Pace when they received the Harvey Milk Foundation Valor Award at this year's Diversity Honors Gala. They're both actively serving in the U.S. military, and they're also transgender. Just two days from now, a new policy from the Trump administration that's being called a, quote, ban on transgender troops goes into effect. And what is at stake with this, and what will happen on Friday? That's a great question. So on Friday, the 12th, um, as many as 15,000 transgender service members stand to lose their jobs. There's the possibility for systematic discrimination, the possibility that we'll be evaluated differently when it comes time for a promotion or to go to a school. And in terms of things like health care, not only transgender service members, but our dependents, our children and our spouses, if they're transgender, they are at risk of receiving substandard care now. How do you think President Trump um, instituted this policy? It would be hard for anybody to speculate as to why their boss might make a decision like this. Um, in general, I have found that when people bring about what, what appears to be discrimination against trans people, there's often what I would use as um, kind of the textbook definition of ignorance. You know, just not understanding, not knowing trans people. That was a view again. Everybody's bringing out their military expert transgender person to bash the ban, and it's just all a crock of shit. It's a total crock of shit. It's unbelievable. We're talking less than a 1,000 people. I don't get it. Sad news to report. Three U.S. troops killed near Bagram Air Base. Suicide bomber. Uh, Names have not been released. We'll uh, get on it. Democrats replace POWMIA flags with transgender pride flags. Kim Schreier, Tim Ryan, Brad Schneider, Greg Stanton, Pete Aguilera. They were approached by the transgender fucking mafia, and they took POW flags down and put up transgender pride flags. So if you wonder, as a vet, if you're a representative really gives a fuck there you go they don't a dutch f-16 fighter shot itself with its own cannon yeah no shit i can't believe this during a training exercise involving two f-16s over the island of Veland on january 21st one pilot opened fire with a vulcan cannon and found at least one fire cartridge caused damage to the plane's exterior and engine there were no injuries during the extreme uncommon mishap but I'm telling you, he probably is not having a good time around the water cooler. That's You shot yourself, bud. Good job. Marines are getting the grenade launcher that civilians have rocked in Battlefield, the video game, for a decade. 
After a year of testing, the M320A1 grenade launcher is being given to infantry squads to replace the underslung M203. It's a much-needed update to the service's Vietnam-era arsenal. The M203 M320A1 will find good range and accuracy, making the infantry squad more lethal, said the Infantry uh, Weapons Marine Corps System Command. Effective range of 150 to 350. The mounted version of the M320A1 is a capability we're currently working on so that Marines have the option should they want it. So that's kind of interesting. 203 has been around a long time. Air Guard Commander fired after alleged boot urination cover-up. I'm thinking that's probably a bad way to go out. I'm not going to read the details. They were pissing in boots. Shows the arm, the military's changed a lot. That's all I'm saying. A lot. Because that wouldn't get you relieved, but okay. And then lastly, as we go into our college crazy, Army Special Ops keeps freaking people out. This time was in North Carolina. It's a lot like the last video. You civilians need to lighten up. Did that sound wake you up last night? Many people called and emailed CBS 17 about what was happening on Capitol Boulevard. Turns out it was an Army training exercise. Raleigh police tell us officers and the Army went door to door, leaving flyers like this one or speaking to neighbors, warning that they'd be using helicopters and simulating gunfire for about four hours overnight. Police were out in the area to keep everyone safe and answer questions about what was going on. To our college crazy, WSU teachers, or excuse me, teaches students how to handle college Republicans at bias training. Isn't that nice? Washington State University bias advisory response team planned two de-escalation trainings in late March and early April with the purpose of trying to help students learn how to manage public encounters like a recent college Republican event. WSU Police Sergeant Don Daniels helped set up the event because he thought it was necessary to get the rise of programs that are controversial. We're talking, we're starting to see more programs that are controversial, and we think this would help students navigate through these kind of situations in school and in life. It's like Republicans are um, Martians. What, what the fuck is that, man? Nanny state. Students demand basic needs. College caves. University of Kentucky has capitulated the list of demands made by a group of students that occupied the main building of the campus voicing complaints about the university's alleged unfair treatment of blacks and low-income students. Among the demands, the president has agreed to create a permanent seat for black students on search committees for university deans and high-level administrators. Protesters from both the university's Black Student Advisory Council and Basic Needs Campaign descended on the building April 1st, only agreeing to leave after the meeting with Kentucky President Eli Capucho. The Basic Need Campaign also agreed to end a six-day-long hunger strike meant to force the administration to recognize their demand for campus centers for students who cannot afford housing or food. So now we're going to feed them, we're going to house them, we're going to close them. Oh, my God. Way to get them ready for life there. Good job. UCLA event compares communist dictator Che Guevara to Jesus. Oh, really? UCLA hosted a seminar Thursday that compared communist dictator Che Guevara to Jesus with a speaker calling Guevara quasi-divine cosmic force. I'm not reading anymore. Get the fuck out of here. 
Second Amendment banner defaced with Antifa sickle and hammer. Police report. A pro-Second Amendment banner at the University of Florida was defaced possibly by Antifa members. UF Young Americans for Freedom chapter made and hung a banner that featured a painted gun with the words, Come and take it! The vandal, spray-painted a hammer and sickle on an international symbol for communism, wrote, Go away! Nobody's been arrested. They have no suspects because they really don't care. Then Matt Walsh did an article. It's pretty good. Some students say my presence on campus poses a threat to their physical well-being. After a petition with 2,000 seniors failed to stop my upcoming speech at Baylor University, an event to tear down advertisement for the event, likewise, resulted in nothing. A group of several hundred students and faculty have now hand-delivered a letter to the university president outlining the case against me. Amusingly, the letter contains a number of terrible, horrible, no good, very bad things I have been allegedly guilty of thinking and saying, which in some cases came straight from the Bible. I'm accusing opposing women's ministers, this is true, by shamelessly plagiarized St. Paul on that point. I'm accused of saying that a man in the head of the woman, again, that's from St. Paul, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of a woman. I should note here that Baylor is supposed to be a Christian university. They go on down to basically say he is a threat to their well-being. Just being there. My well-being is affected by having to hear other viewpoints. Wow. It's because teachers are just not the same anymore. How do I know? Both teachers unions oppose bill that would make sex with students a crime. Yesterday at a hearing for Bill HB 5817 that would make sex between school employees and students a crime even after they turn 16. The legal age of consent in Rhode Island, both teachers unions made their objections known. N-E-A-R-R-I didn't have anyone testify, but Pat Crawley did sign in a hearing and note his opposition to the bill. I suspect that NEA also submitted written testimony. James Parisi of the United Federation of Teachers did testify. In fact, we sat beside one another, each offering our different opinion on the bill and it's basically yeah go fuck the kitties that's great yeah i'm glad those kind of people are teaching our kids and then uh lastly the osu pride center recovered they didn't want vets in there because that hurt their well-being too yeah that got reversed they didn't apologize but a full-fledged statement with no apology recanted it Next article is about race. We have either fixed the racial problem in this world or we have simply run out of ways to accuse others of racism and have create new outrages out of thin soup. Remember, recently when HuffPo declared that black people eating healthy meant they would have to eat white people food. Then it got worse than that. Same white people diet was killing the environment. We cover that one. How about when someone was merely saying a particular stew looked like dishwater and was instantly branded as xenophobic? The concept of food being inherently race-based will forever be a source of menu-born mirth. The latest comes from Burger King via New Zealand. Over in the land of Hobbits, BK Lounge is launching what it calls the Taste of the World menu. One of its items is a chicken sandwich seasoned with Vietnamese sweet chili sauce. In the time of my house, my wife and son was drinking that shit. In a commercial spot touting the new sandwich, they had customers attempting to eat them comically with large chopsticks as a joke. But oh no, here comes the outrage patrol. Maria Mokeri 
So this is new Burger King ad for Vietnamese burger. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Chopsticks. Hilarious. Right. Oh, my God. At Sweet Chili, a magic Vietnamization appeared. This is how Asians eat. I'm not going to read the rest. They got outraged about a joking commercial. Maria O'Carry later, I am so sick of racism of any kind, of the kind that makes fun of different cultures, the kind that shoots and murders those peacefully praying in their place of worship. Say no to racism, but a normal person comes along and goes, dude, I can eat a burger with no pair of chopsticks any day. Here's me thinking we should start an eating burger with chopsticks normally challenge. It was a joke. Sydney Wong. Yeah. Somehow, someway, that just doesn't surprise me. You know, a joking commercial, we're going to get just outraged. But that is just a speck on the huge racist of our next story. Beyonce, Beyonce declines offer from Reebok because pitch team lacked diversity. Exact statement. Nobody in the room reflected reflects my background, my skin color, and where I'm from. And she took one with Adidas, who threw a bunch of black people in a room. That's a true story. Not that I don't like white dudes, but I've seen that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's okay? How about this? New York City casting call says white artists will be paid less than POC artists and undergo mandatory sessions of anti-racism training. Casting call was recently posted on Backstage, a website for actors and technicians. Underneath the rehearsal heading, the call stated that white actors were cast in the show would participate in a mandatory anti-racism training session. That training session would not be mandatory for actors of other races. Under the compensation headline, call stated that actors of color would be paid more than white people. The original text under the rehearsal and compensation section read, Please note, we are working on an organization of short anti-racism training for creative team and ensemble in April to help us address power dynamics dynamics and reduce harm within the creative process. This training will be open to all ensemble members and creative team members, but will be mandatory only for white creatives. Pays a small stipend, 150 for the spring workshop period. Due to the content of the particular project, resources are being allocated in favor of POC collaborators. This means the POC artist will receive a larger stipend than the white artist. When called on it, they retracted everything, but wouldn't say anything anymore. New. So Beyonce can say, fuck white people. I'm not wearing your fucking shoes. That's okay. And you can pay black people more. None of this made CNN, NBC. Nobody reported. But that's just our media. Our little next soundbite. Netflix teen drama pushes transgender agenda, orgies in a cult. But the one I watched was proven innocent. That if you take away transgender hormones like they do in prison, because me and you are paying for it, yeah, we pay for that shit, you're taking away their existence. You're not going to need stitches? You got lucky. An inch lower and you could have lost your eye. So you didn't get the license? 
No. It, it, look, it all happened so fast. Can you guys not check the neighborhood cameras, get their license plate? Yeah, we'll get right on that. You're not going to do anything, are you? Sir, please stay calm. <laughs> sir, I'm not even gay, and I'm pissed off. Of course you're not, sir. You're wasting your time getting angry. Excuse me, sir. We're taking a police report. Can you at least show her some respect and refer to her as ma'am? And you refer to me as Officer Thompson. All right, all right, we get it. You don't care. Let's just get out of here. I believe she's innocent, but if she doesn't want our help... Prison is a hopeless place. We just need to give her some help. So what, we go against her wishes and do it anyway? It's not even ethical to assume representation for a client without their consent. Then let's find some new evidence. Give her a reason to say yes. 2018 was one of the most violent years in history for transgender women. This could be an amazing case to shine a light on those issues. We can't take the case of someone who doesn't want to be exonerated. Are you uncomfortable with this case? No. I'd gladly move forward if she actually wanted our help. Well, she does. She just doesn't know it yet. Come on, let's dig around. Let's give her a reason to change her mind. Amazing, isn't it? All the hatred for this community. All they want to do is just live their lives for who they are. I wouldn't know anything about that. Does the black community share any connection with the gay community for being targeted by hate groups? Some might say yes, because we both know what it's like to be hated for being who you are. And we're both generally hated by the same people. But others say you can hide who you love, but you can't hide the color of your skin. <laughs> but what do you do when you can't hide who you love? No way Cindy killed her. Cops have done anything they can on queer people. Did you own the bar then? No, I was just a server. It was mob-owned like most gay bars. They walked away in 98 and someone had to keep it alive. This bar was special. A safe haven where everyone could be themselves. Everyone? As my understanding is not all gay bars were welcoming of the trans community. This wasn't most gay bars, honey. This was the tulip. Vanessa was an icon. A true hero. Everybody loved her. Except the cops. Why is that? The usual. Thought she was a he and a pervert. If they weren't harassing her, they were putting her in cuffs for prostitution. And believe me, she wasn't. Walking while trans. That's right, honey. You look visibly trans on the street. Cops cuff and say you're a prostitute. In my community, it's walking while black. Now imagine being black and trans. Because that's what these girls had to live with. I remember a few days before she was killed, some jerk accosted Vanessa. He was obsessed with her. And when she called it off, he went after her. Then the cops arrest Vanessa for assault. Do you know who this guy was? No, but I'll ask around. A few of us are still alive from those days. A few. What the fuck? But then there's some positive. Trump has done more for me than Obama. Gray's Anatomy actor Isaiah, Isaiah Washington slams 44 for not supporting Africa or the black agenda and praises 45. He tweeted his thanks to Trump while criticizing Obama in a series of posts. Washington was at the White House to celebrate a prison reform bill. The actor shared pictures and videos of himself from inside the East Room. Congress passed the First Step Act, which gives judges more discretion when sentencing on some cases. 
He was end up fired because he said a racial slur jokingly to somebody, and he left the show. But uh, Isaiah Washington, if you Google him, you've seen this guy. He's in a lot of shit. He was also, I think, on that stupid submarine movie, that uh, TV show that went nowhere, that they were the last people alive or some shit. It was horrible. Then we got Utah Jazz player Kyle Korver. Wrote a little something about white privilege, which of course every leftist, progressive, SJW, and the media ate the fuck up. Uh, I've been trying to write this for a while. From the Players' Tribune, there's an elephant in the room that I've been thinking about a lot over the last few weeks. It's the fact that demographically, for being honest, I have more in common with the fans in the crowd at your average NBA game than I have with players on the court. And after the events in Salt Lake City last month, and as we've been discussing them since, I'm really starting to recognize the role those demographics play in my privilege. It's like I may be Thabo's friend or Ekby's teammate or Russ's colleague. I may work with those guys and absolutely 100% stand with them, but I look like the other guys. And whether I like it or not, I'm going to understand how that means something. Blah, blah, blah. So another guy who happens to be black decided to destroy him. I look at where I'm at and what I have today, and I know that everything came from unimaginable struggle. We came to American poor and painless, don't know the language and no connections. We came because capitalism provided opportunity. My father worked hard. Blah, blah, blah. You're full of shit. Stop virtue signaling. By the end, I was granted an easy road because of my skin color. If fucking Kyle found his life easy, it was probably because someone else sacrificed for his ungrateful ass. <laughs> I love it. But it's just not black the left can't stand. Green feminine stereotyping contributes to climate change. What? Yeah. Well, it seems to have hit a peak intersectionality, at least it relates to the religion of climate change. Intersectionality is the modern problem. Okay, what are we arguing on that? We all know that global warming, like everything else, will inordinately impact poor minority women. But someone's figured out how to reverse the flow and blame guys on the front side. In Forbes' article that on a page called Forbes Women, Carolyn Sento Milton introduced readers to green feminine stereotype. Basically, some academics conducted seven experiments that included over 2,000 participants from the U.S. and China, some involving grocery bag choices, and learned that people, men and women, associate environmentalism with feminine qualities. The article is originally posted on Forbes at a title asking if toxic masculinity is contributing to climate change. It's been changed since to something more innocuous. Yes, only academic academics would need a bunch of research money and a cast of thousands to figure out what you can easily note after five minutes of your local wholesale. Walking around with green, usable grocery bags may feel virtuous, but it's never, ever going to look manly. And then there's Mother Earth and Mother Nature and Gia and a million other clues. That's an article. So now it's toxic masculinity is... Yeah. Okay. No women are using fossil fuels. None. None. So, to our crazy stuff. Area 51, an uncensored history. Journalists share photos connected to the infamous Roswell UFO incident of 1947. As he claims it was a hoax designed by the Soviet Union and Joseph Stalin. I just love reading those conspiracy stories. I'm not going into it, but it just, wow. Survey, nearly 3 in 10 Americans stuck in sexual dry spell for almost a year. 
A new study delving the sex habits of American adults find that nearly 3 in 10 people are mired in sexual dry spill that has lasted for almost a year. A survey of 2,000 men and women revealed that most agree a dry spell means at least five months without sex. But researchers found that 28% who are currently in a rut themselves have been that way for 11 months, 10 months on average for men versus a year for women. Considering that most respondents would be preferred to have sex three times a week, that means those on a desert island are suffering 132 missed opportunities so far. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. Then there was a picture that you probably all saw. Massive amount of pollen turned North Carolina sky yellow. It is my world right now. I am a cave dweller. I'm a fucking vampire. It is horrible outside. I have a black Jeep. It is yellow. Completely yellow. It's been parked for two days. Last time I drove it. Um, unbelievable. But that's not unbelievable as this next story. Nice segue, huh? A woman's infection turned out to be bees living in her eye, feeding on her tears. It was a, North, a Taiwanese lady, and they found three fucking bees had camped out in her eye socket. How the fuck don't you know a bee's in your eye? I don't want to know. Then there's the retail apocalypse. Analysts say 75,000 more stores will close. By 2026, online shopping is roughly at 16% right now with, you know, Amazon taking most of that and 25% will be then by 2026. Retail's going away. To our American Patriots Almanac before we do not have a lighter fare today, we're going into uh, This is America. I'm not going to read the stories, just going to do the, uh... oh, I am reading this first one. Today, April 11th. Um, I got confused for a second. I thought I condensed it, but I'm not. I'm going to do the day story and just the history for the weekend. Houston, we've had a problem. On April 11, 1970, April Apollo 13 lifted off from Cape Canaveral, carrying astronaut Jim Lovell, Fred Hayes, and Jack Swigert on what was supposed to be the third U.S. mission to the moon. 56 hours in the flight, an explosion inside a liquid oxygen tank rocked the ship. Houston, we've had a problem. Swigert reported to Mission Control. At once, the spacecraft lost power. Lovell looked out the pole horde and saw a catastrophe in the making. We are venting something into space, he radioed. The ship was losing oxygen used to generate power. The spacecraft was dying 200,000 miles from home. To save power in the command module, the astronauts... Okay, I guess I wasn't going to read this because we've all seen it. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah, that's bad. That's bad. So, let's do the history parade. 1945, American troops liberate the Buchwald concentration camp in Germany. 1947, Jackie Robinson becomes the first black baseball player in Major League when he plays an exhibition game in Brooklyn Dodgers. Wow. 1951, Truman relieves General Douglas MacArthur of command for publicly criticizing his Korean War policy. For April 12th history... 1811, settlers sponsored by John Jacob Astor established the first American outpost in the Pacific Northwest near present-day Astoria, Oregon, where the Columbia meets the Pacific. 1861, the Civil War begins at Fort Sumner. 1934, the strongest wind gust on record, 231 miles per hour, hits Mount Washington, New Hampshire. I bet they weren't talking about climate change then. 
1945, FDR dies of a cerebral hemorrhage, and in 1981, the first manned space shuttle flight begins as Columbia blasts off from Cape Canaveral. Canaveral. April 13th, History Parade, 1743, Thomas Jefferson, the third U.S. president, is born in Albemarle County, Virginia. 1830 in Washington, President Andrew Jackson gives a famous toast during a time of sectional strife. Our federal union, it must be preserved. 1861, after 33 hours of bombardment, Union held Fort Sumter. Um, surrenders. In uh, 1997, Tiger Wood, age 21, becomes the youngest person to win the Masters Tournament in Augusta, Georgia. Two are This Is America segment. A lot of you astute listeners thought, man, he missed something on the violent left. No, I didn't. So our This Is America starts with a tweet I was going to cover in our hate. Ileana Omar would really love to just focus on being a good congresswoman, but it's just so damn difficult when them Jews keep buzzing around her. So she goes off on Stephen Miller, who's a Jew. Stephen Miller is a white nationalist. The fact that he still has influence on policy and political appointments is an outrage. Just going to ding her for a second. But then Iman Mohed Tawahidi tweets the following. Ian Omar mentions 9-11 and does not consider it a terrorist attack on the USA by terrorists. Listen to how she defined a terrorist attack. The largest one that killed 3,000 fucking Americans. Care was founded after 9-11. Because they recognized that some people did something and that all of us were starting to lose access to our civil liberties. Some people did something. Dan Crestjaw, first member of Congress to ever describe terrorists who killed thousands of Americans in 9-11 as some people who did something. Medea Hassan goes after him because that's an Islamist. Dan Crenshaw, first member of Congress to ever moderate a Facebook book group that was called that called Islam a cancer. Ben Shapiro, if you actually care about the truth on this particular debunked claim, here you go from Check Your Facts. Crenshaw was a member of a large conservative group called the Tea Party on Face Facebook. My mouse just went crazy. Media Matters. Exposed examples of conspiracy theories and prejudice remarks being posted by some of the group's administrators and members, but it did not characterize the group as a white supremacist or neo-Nazi group. Crenshaw shared videos from his campaign in the group, but Media Matters did not report that he posted or showed support for any anti-Muslim group, and when he found out they were being called that, he left the group. Major media ignoring all of this. Nobody's playing she said this. Nobody's, wow, that's pretty bad. In comes Newsweek. New cover story. How Eon Minnesota is changing the conversation about Israel and upending the 2020 campaign. Picture of her, Eon Omar, the Democrats, and Israel. So anti-Semitism now is changing the conversation. 
Noah Lombardo, changing the conversation, beginning to suspect the Jews do not, in fact, control the media. <laughs> she just allowed them to be honest about their anti-Semitism. Yeah. I, I just... Then, a Newsweek article. I wrote about AOC, Ian Momar, and Tashid, Rashida Tlaib, and Congress problem with silencing women of color. Studies show that women of color at work are often stereotyped, marginalized, and silenced. The only gets worse in Congress, which is mostly dominated by white men. Is it any surprise that AOC, Omar, and Tlaib have been met with so much backlash? What? The article, the three idiotos stances are certainly worth debating on ideological grounds. And were they white men making the same comments? Perhaps they would be. But that's not always what's happening. Instead, these three outspoken women have become the public faces of a shift towards a more diverse Congress and have become a loc- locus for the same patterns of based biased behavior and researchers and experts have found women of color and leadership often encounter. As a result, they've been met with aggressive and extensive calls to shut up and go away. Fact, she goes out of her way to avoid it, instead blaming racism and sexism for the criticism of Omar. Alex Griswold. According to Vox, who, sorry, it wasn't Newsweek, it was Vox, it is a proven objective fact that attacks on Elian Omar are explicitly about silencing outspoken women of color. Help me out here. Exactly who has been explicit? What? That they are attacking Omar because they want to silence her color. Talib said, fuck we're going to impeach the motherfucker and his Islamist. Omar's an Islamist and AOC's a fucking moron. AOC, then Chris Hayes runs it there and says, I'd say Omar is one of the most consistent voices for human rights in the Middle East across the various governments and regimes. Consistent voice. Yes, she is. Consistently anti-Semitic. Which brings us to this is our America. Because while all this is going, and they're lauding Omar, who said some people did something on the worst day of death in American history. This is Katie fucking Couric. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. What I'm whipping up. This is America. Don't catch you slipping up. Don't catch you slipping up. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. And this is America in 2019. Care was founded after 9 11. Because they recognized that some people did something and that all of us were starting to lose access to our civil liberties. I went to a discussion recently with Ted Koppel on the state of the media, and he actually said he thinks the Washington Post, the New York Times, are out to get Trump specifically, and they're showing it, and that Trump's not mistaken in his perception that the press is out to get him. Coming from a legendary anchor like Ted Koppel, what do you think about that? Do you agree with what he... No, I mean, I don't really. I think that... This is the most unconventional president we've ever witnessed, certainly in my lifetime and probably in history. 
And I think uh, his behavior has, and his actions, have warranted probably greater scrutiny than other presidents. So I don't agree with that. He deserves it. So you ask, why would I have Omar not be the worst soundbite? Because that's our media. That's our media. He deserves extra scrutiny while we ignore Ilian Omar being anti-Semite and pretty much say it was no big deal. September 11th no big deal. What's wrong with you for thinking it's a big deal? It's not a big deal. What the fuck? How does that pan out? How? How can Ilian Omar get the cover of Newsweek but Donald Trump deserves extra scrutiny. Thus, we focus on his tweet of the day. It's fucking bullshit. It is just fucking bullshit. So that wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with your family and friends. Send comments about the track by sending an email to fopodcast at gmail.com. You can get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Static, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out the Facebook page at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, FOP Podcast, and our Twitter page at FOP Tony Reed. We're going to run for our next uh, podcast to be the 16th of April, Year of Our Lord, 2019. <clears throat> Got some stuff to attend to. On a personal note, today... I had to spend $5,800 on a new AC. Wow. Well, I did it by choice. So, um, luckily, we've fallen into some money due to a death in the family, and it came at the. It couldn't come at a better time. Uh, the money from that, the tax returns, it's going to pay for it. But our 20-year-old heat pump just died. So, um, the amazing thing, and I was going to do it on the front end, but I ended up doing it on the back end. It sure is a technolo- technological leap going from a AC, va- AC machine or a heat pump that was made in 2000 to one in 2019 with different stages. It's twice the size. I went from a, a 1.5 ton to a 2 ton, which is what our house should have had. Um, it, it wasn't even rated for the square footage we had. But they didn't factor bathrooms and kitchens and things like that when they did it. And, of course, it's a spec home. So when you build your spec home, we added a few things onto our spec home. But it's still, they go as cheap as they can. So um, our first night with it was last night. They didn't have the right thermostat. But that thing didn't come on a lot. And now with the new thermostat, um, I actually waited for a while. Because the guy came in and we interrupted this podcast for him to finish the full installation of the correct thermostat. And the moment he turned it on, I could hear air blowing through the vents. It was something that I never could hear before. Because uh, it has three stages, a two-stage compressor and a three-stage blower. So if you like turn your heat up at night, um, to, or turn it down, say that you put it on 67, 68 because you're in bed. And you wake up and it's cold, you blast it 72. This thing will go berserk to get you cooled off quick or heated up quickly, and then vice versa. He ran the heat in here, um, got the house to about 75 degrees, shut off. Then he flipped it to make sure it was all functioning, and that third-stage blower came in, and wow, it's like a wind tunnel. Um, so 
Big change in technology will definitely save us. So the average will be $50 a month in electricity, um, which is pretty damn good. So I guess within about 10 years, it'll pay for itself. I guess that's my theory. Ignore the dog. Um, Hold on a second. Let me yell at the dog. So anyway, make sure you all stay safe out there. It's going to be stream storms down here and blizzards up above us and pollen count and horrible, just horrible weather. Um, And as always, disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah, yeahs. And tune back in next Tuesday for another exciting episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody, and take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.